Before I begin, I want to share a list with you, if that's okay with you. And that list is a series of games, which include Witcher 3, Yakuza 0, Yakuza Kiwami, uh, Ghost of Tsushima, Black Mesa, Kingdom Come Deliverance, Ace Attorney, Hitman 2, Subnautica, Resident Evil 2 Remake, West of Loathing, Pillars of the Earth, uh, Vermintide 2, Vampire, Golden Sun, Sexy Brutal, Duskers, Fire Emblem, the whole franchise, Spyro, the whole franchise, uh, Colonel Sanders Dating Sim, naturally, and this game. What do these games have in common? I wouldn't have played any of these games, not for you guys, if not for the fact that you guys pushed me into it, and I, I don't mean that as a negative thing, sorry, that's bad terminology. What I mean by that is you guys in, you know, were like, hey, I'd like you to play this game, and I was like, sure. And every single game I just listed is a game that I liked, or at least kind of liked, as a result of being exposed to it by you guys, including this one. I do have to admit, though, this game certainly has its issues, and I don't want to sound like it doesn't. But this is one of the benefits of being a variety show, and allowing you guys to, to pick out niche games. And I, Maybe I shouldn't call this a niche game, but I'd never even heard of it until someone suggested three. As in, I'd never heard of the franchise until someone suggested this for a run. And I went into this exceptionally blind. During the course of the run, I learned a little bit more about the franchise's other works and, you know, how they connect to this one and the prequel status of it and blah, blah, blah. But overall, this was kind of a new experience for me, which is okay, because I did enjoy myself quite a bit. The narrative is interesting, and I'll talk about that in a second, but I want to talk about the gameplay first, because I usually like to talk about the gameplay first. Because this is an RPG. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, it's an RPG-RTS hybrid. Eh. The way I've, I've been trying to come up with a good word for this, because the structure of the game is that of an RPG. Uh, talking to NPC, getting quests, having cutscenes, uh, moving around with your party of heroes, which you have to equip them and all that stuff. The structure of how the, the, the map layout and the quest design and the flow of the narrative, that's all full tilt RPG. Even to the point of having zones and zone lines as you move in between them, right? All of that is full on RPG. There are RTS sections, and the interface is that of an RTS. You know, the, the, the mouse drag and moving around with the thing. Like, the actual physical interface of interacting with the game is that of an RTS. And the RTS sections are certainly there. Here's the problem. I love the idea of an RPG RTS. I do. This was okay in terms of the gameplay style things. Usually when it comes to judging RPGs or RTSs, the things that really make the gameplay work for me is interesting unit balance or excellent interface or good uh, UI, you know, good at-a-glance, maybe good macroing with regards to how you can set up structures and, and queue units or good microing with regards to hotkeys. It's, that's still part of the interface. Uh, maybe there's uh, good terrain design, individual maps, Good, good gimmicks, excellent boss fights, which drift over to the RPG thing, where we could have good dungeon design, or maybe good leveling systems, or a good combat system. Or maybe there's something where your alternate leveling gives you a lot of options, or how you build yourself. Or maybe they just have really good kit, a.k.a. you have a lot of ways you can build and design your character, and all are feasible. This game has none of that. I didn't give a single positive to gameplay for almost anything that I usually gauge when it comes to both RPGs and RTSs. It was just kind of there. There was one negative I gave, because the unit balance is awful. Ranged units are terabad. 
But <laughs> it's just, you know. By the end of the game, I was quite literally defeating almost every section, including the RTS sections, with just my four heroes, who were built in a way to be able to, you know, ramshod their way through things. There were a couple of exceptions to that, of course. I don't want to sound like there weren't. It's just, it was just kind of there. This is confounded by the fact that this game was a little bit on the buggy side and had lots of lack of polish on display, like uh, the voice acting. In some cases, the voice acting was wrong, like the wrong actor would suddenly voice another character's line, or they would say something that is not actually what the text is on the screen, or the text actually has uh, typos, it, you know, everything's been spelled correctly, or sometimes it's just issues. Sometimes the audio balancing is completely out of nowhere as if, you know, they recorded a certain line completely separate from the other lines. And those kind of issues were pretty much constant. There were other smaller bugs that would occur as well. Uh, most notably, the game didn't know how to handle missions or quests if you did them in any way out of order. A couple of times I did that deliberately. Most of the time I did not. I was simply playing the game normally, and the game would give me cutscene 4, cutscene 2, cutscene 3, and then cutscene 1 in that order. <laughs> But I do want to mention a couple other things. The outro sucked. I think the last mission was crap. Um, but I do think there is one thing the game did well on a gameplay axis, and that's the progression. The overwhelming majority of this game is optional. You don't have to do the side quests. You don't have to do most of the RTS missions. You don't have to recruit people. There's a lot of optional stuff, and it's well-labeled. It's always blue, a blue ex uh, exclamation mark or a blue thing in the quest log. So you know that that's optional, and you don't actually have to do it. That's good. Good stuff. I will also say the middle part of the game was probably the best overall part of the game. Very strange for an RPG in general. Usually the intro and the outro are, are the parts where things are, you know, high or low. But here the high was the middle. The intro was eh, and the outro was terrible. I actually give a negative to both story and gameplay for the outro. But I want to talk about uh, something else, and that's the narrative of this game. I want to talk about how weird it is ranking a game like this. Before I go into any specifics, most games have things where if you were to gauge the quality, I'm actually going to lower my hand a little bit because of the new camera setup, gauge the quality on a bar like this, it's like, okay, here's the overage quality and it jumps up. You know, here's a really cool scene, here's a really cool boss fight, here's a really cool this, and then it goes back down. And there's usually highs and lows, even when it comes to really good games. This game had a couple of lows and one high, and otherwise it was just right in the middle. Someone in chat described it as a vanilla game, and I kind of agree with that. Not as an insult, because I enjoy vanilla ice cream. It's not my favorite. It's not what I would prefer given a choice, but there's nothing wrong with it, and I still enjoyed it. It was <laughs> generically enjoyable. It's the weirdest way to describe that, I know. Some of you may remember I've described a few things as aggressively average. This is more like generically enjoyable. It's like the inverse of that. It never really dipped down into ugh, territory, but it never really had any peaks of ha huh, either. There was one peak, and I'm just going to go and say, share this right up front because, um, you know, it, this is a rumination, so spoilers beware, obviously. When we go to confront our mother, now, this was really, really well done, and I think it's actually the best scene in the entire game. The the whole game has been doing this thing where it's been very obviously emphasizing, hey, there's something weird with you. You have a you know, the mysterious past because of your father and constant daddy issues, which is showing up in every single quest. Uh, you've got the, the the game just has giant blinking highlights saying you're the chosen one, right? 
So when we get to confront our mother and find out that we are half shaper, there's no surprise. It's the obvious thing. This is the brilliance of it. I call this the untwist. I should probably come up with a new term because that's not really a, a good term for that. The untwist is when you advertise a big obvious plot twist or reveal and then it happens. Thus the audience, they're like, okay, because they knew it was coming and they expected it and they're not looking for anything else. And so they are then caught off guard by the actual twist. In this case, the actual twist being the fact that her and her innocent reaching out to her son was what was deliberately causing this. Now this is an interesting case. I'm not going to give any examples from other games or other works because obviously that would be spoiling. But in this case, it's funny because they actually mentioned very early on the idea that a telepathic call is causing the blood burn. And then they just kind of bury that information there in the background. And then you go through and you go through and you find your mother. And the whole scene is focused on your mother, your mother, your mother. Oh, yeah, by the way, she was the one causing the blood burn. And she is horrified. Beautifully, horrifically. Just, oh, my God, I've been causing all that suffering and all that pain. I just wanted to meet my son. The tragedy of it and the way it's handled, the, the structure of how they slide it in there, leave it in the back of your mind, and then, even when the big moment comes, focus on something else entirely before, oh, by the way, brilliant. And then immediately after that, she's taken away from you by Lacane, the major villain of the game. It's really well structured, very well executed. It's a great scene. I will also admit, I was kind of hoping for another thing like that with Lacane, because it's like, oh, I have seen visions from Aenar. I called way early on that it wasn't actually Aenar, or Ionair, or however stupid name was. It was something else, right? And then we encounter the dragon who flat out calls it a creature, and I'm like, okay, yeah. So that's obvious, right? He's obviously not getting visions for that. It's got to be some something else. Okay. No, it was just some tentacle demon thing. I think it's actually called a spectral horror, which I only know from looking at the wiki. It's never named in the game that I'm aware of. Um, yeah, like I said, not super impressed with the outro. I like the characters. This game feels very muddy, and I don't mean visually. I mean in terms of tone. It feels like it's down in the dirt. Most of the characters, despite the fact that we're encountering events that are fairly high scale and high high you know, tempo for the overall setting, it's all focused down on the individuals. We meet a there's a lot of voice acted lines. First, great voice acting in this game for the most part. I already said that, but it bears repeating. There's a lot of lined characters, a lot of uh, individuals who are just regular soldiers, or a merchant, or a dude who's had his house who's been destroyed by the local trolls, which are near the area. Or there's this one orc who would really like to start working on something, but he just can't get the right piece. Or whatever. It's all really down to earth. And I think that's the thing this game does best and why I like that middle section so much. Because I became invested in the individual stories of these individual characters. One of my favorite characters, whose name I just forgot, but it's okay. I've got the review right here, so I can just look it up. Uh, Katras, who was easily my favorite character in the entire game. He's a random... He's a mercenary. He's the leader of a local mercenary corps. That's it. Nothing fancy, he's nothing special. He doesn't have some magical super weapon. He's not Kai Lang. He's not built up to be your adversary. He's just a merc who happened to be hired by people who were willing to work with you, and then he was hired by people who were actively trying to kill you. That's it. And it's so bloody down to earth. And of course, the voice actor absolutely sells it. I know. Third time I brought it up. I apologize. The game overall. <sighs> sold me very well on its characters. And it's a shame, because the setting overall is pretty bleak, but we do a lot to try and make it better. We do actually improve, or at least I'd like to say we improve, thanks to Spellforce 1 and 2, the setting as a whole. I found myself wondering about several aspects of it, admittedly. I mentioned the, the, the muddy thing. 
Star Wars is often referred to as being lived in, I believe is the term for the style. And that's a similar vibe to what I got from this one. This feels like a world that's been well trod upon, in a good way and in a bad way. It's very believable. Um, there were a few specific instances where character motivation didn't really work for me, almost entirely in the case of the villains. And there are two separate instances in the final dungeon where I mistook who I was talking to because they had the exact same portrait of someone who I had just talked to. <laughs> the seams show, is what I'm trying to say. Normally at this point, this is when I would go ahead and talk about, uh, you know, the, the theory crafting, and I would have a question for you. I don't really have anything to theory craft on, though, as weird as that may sound. Nothing really caught my attention. There was no peaks, like I said. There was nothing that made me go, oh, man, I want to learn more about that. I am curious how the world gets shattered, as previously mentioned. I am curious how, why, like, apparently several of the characters in this game are still alive in future Spellforce games. I am curious if they're going to try and diverge and do their own thing with the expansions, or maybe just reboot or reimagine the other games. I don't know. I will say this, this game got me interested enough that if we ever do actually play through the expansions, that will be something I'm totally down for. It's just, I don't have much to say about it. I do have one last little tidbit, though. Uh, something I'm very big on is consequence storytelling. Too often, things will happen because plot. Things will happen because they need certain story beats to happen. What it felt like, and this is, of course, pure speculation, it felt like they sat down when they were writing this game and they said, okay, here's our setup. What happens next? And what they did was they lo they followed logical progression of events until they, they had written out the entirety of the game. And I enjoy that type of storytelling very, very much. The I call it consequence storytelling. Uh, it's also a form of internal continuity of the game, paying attention to what happens in itself and then making note and reference of that future. It doesn't have to be big stuff. It's not like you saved this castle and therefore you know, unicorns. It doesn't have to be something huge like that. But little stuff, the flavor, the spice that it adds when you, you talk to someone and she's still kind of wigged out because she's empty as a consequence of having been mind-controlled for however long. And the mind and it's not just the mind-control itself, because mind-control can be done well. No, in this case, she's wigged out because the mind-control was done by an amateur who didn't know what they were doing. And so there's permanent mental damage. Or how about the presentation of, uh, uh, oh God, I want to say Radagast, but that's not his name, the, the, the mage gentleman, who very calmly and excellently voice acted, again, I know, four times now, excellently voice acted, gets across the portrayal of someone who is simply disconnected, but had found one person who he was connected to, but then he interacts with him again and no longer feels that connection, which is perfectly logical. And his own reactions to that all line up beautifully with how he's been presented. He is nonplussed by it, but at the same time, he doesn't find himself comfortable with the idea. It is simply something that he needs to process in a new way, and he's not sure if he properly can. Oh, and by the way, special credit goes out to Gore, who is uh, David Fenroy, or Fenroy, I think. I can never think of the actor's name. He's a great actor. Uh, most of you probably know him as Lee from uh, the Walking Dead video game, Telltale Give It But he's a great voice actor, and he nails Gore. This is five times now. But Gore was an awesome character. He was a very... Oh my god, he was a great archetype. He, he should have been the hero, if we weren't actually the hero. He is a pragmatist who is also an idealist, who believes in his cause, but is willing to bend, and has a gruff exterior, of course, because of how harsh of a life he's led, but actually does legitimately care about others, and in fact feels that he that his people are not wrong so much as they are currently misled and could be much better and stronger there's just so much to him there's there's so much gradient and nuance to him that i just oh i ate up every scene he was in and uh like i said favorite character 
I'm sorry I don't have much else to share. This was an interesting romp. I do hope you've enjoyed my thoughts. Uh, if you have anything to share, feel free in the comments below. Otherwise, we'll talk to you guys next time. Oh, by the way, if you're watching this when this goes live, this game is on sale right now, so that trend is still continuing. Chukru.